Thank you, Dev, and uh, you know, for that introduction. And as uh, you mentioned today, we're really going to be focusing on RNA-seq data analysis and interpretation. Um, again, my name is Sean Prince. I'm a senior field application scientist. Uh, just to go through, uh, you know, just a couple of slides for housekeeping purposes. Uh, you know, what we're looking at today for software purposes are really just for molecular biology applications and such, and not really intended for, you know, diagnosis, prevention, or treatment. Uh, again, just kind of keeping lawyers happy there. Um, and then as you guys have seen and have been diligently filling out, there are polls. We're going to have some polls coming uh, throughout the session. Some for speed, just to kind of keep me in line, uh, making sure I don't go too fast. Um, and also just for um, information about, you know, if, if the content's relevant for, you know, uh, for you and uh, what you're expecting. Um, in addition, <clears throat> in the bottom of the screen, you should see a Q&A button. Uh, please use the Q&A when you have questions, uh, as Dev has mentioned. Uh, Dev and Kristen will, and well, and Leah will all be sort of able to kind of answer questions that come up through that Q and A box, um, and kind of keep keep everything organized a bit better. So, if you wouldn't mind, please use that Q and A uh, box. And then, last but not least, uh, there are a couple other animations that you can do. Uh, one should be like raise hand, and so you know, I may ask you guys if there's if something's relevant or if uh, if something's clear or not, and maybe utilize. Um, you know, the raise hand button. So uh, again, that's just sort of some housekeeping uh, things for me, if you will. And so now that that's done, we can kind of get started. And, and with any sort of trip, if you will, it's always good to know where you're going before you leave. Um, and so when we talk about, you know, analyzing RNA-seq data, um, you're going to be generating, you know, a large volume of FASTQ files usually, or a volume of FASTQ files, depending on how many samples per group you have. And so you're going to end up sequencing that um, those samples and generating that information. And what we need to do before we can really do any of the biological interpretation is that we need to you know, make sure our samples are of good quality, uh, make sure that you know, the groups seem to be you know, consist, you know, consistent or, um, you know, Again, just trying to get a, a better understanding of how well our samples are, you know, grouping together, um, and we can do that through a variety of sort of uh, visualizations. We'll say uh, first and foremost might just be like a PCA plot, right? And in this case, when we're looking at a PCA plot, we're trying to understand: well, are there outliers in our group, or you know, does do our groups cluster together? Um, really good way of sort of doing some QC of our data. Um, and one thing you can kind of see in here is. You know, we have a, a group that sort of clusters in this region um, and then two samples that are, you know, sort of off by themselves. And we'll kind of keep that in, in mind as we sort of look at some of the data and, and do some of the processing. Um, in addition, uh, when we look at some, you know, another uh, way that oftentimes we want to, you know, visualize the data would be through a volcano plot. So we can say, you know, what are the, what genes are differentially expressed? where, you know, maybe even interact with that volcano plot where you can make a selection maybe in the upregulated um, region and also in the downregulated region um, and say, hey, can I make, you know, a, a list of these specific genes um, and do sort of, you know, whatever you want, you know, downstream type of analysis wise. Uh, maybe you want to make a specific you know, heat map from that list of genes or uh, generate um, other visualizations that are really just around the 
a specific subset of data. And so oftentimes, again, we're looking at that, the differential expression of RNA-seq through that volcano plot. Um, and again, utilizing those for publication purposes. Um, last couple images that we're gonna uh, describe here uh, would be, you know, Venn diagrams. So oftentimes when you have multiple groups, so say we had um, case versus control, um, treated versus untreated, and we want to go, well, are there any, you know, overlaps between those groups? So unions between the groups, intersections, um, and really be able to, again, interact with those uh, with those objects where if we wanted to, you know, click on this region um, in the Venn diagram, it would, you know, make that selection in other views, allowing us to once again make subsets from, you know, uh, you know from the data very easily. Um, and last, lastly, you know, kind of pointing out things like a heat map as a way to, you know, see consistency, maybe again, across sample, where on this x-axis that we have here are each of our samples. Uh, similarly, each of the little balls up here represent a sample. And we can see again, you know, those two samples that are sort of our outliers in this group are also going to be these two samples, which seem to be very different, if you will, um, in the heat map versus the remaining samples. Um, and so again, we're going to be utilizing these objects and images for publication purposes to really, you know, emphasize what's going on within our data. And also, you know, to make sure that, you know, when we go into the next step, which is ingenuity pathway analysis, that, you know, hopefully we'll be able to find some biological uh, meaning within that data. Um, <clears throat> and also, you know, be able to, you know, make a paper and, and have a very coherent story. So that being said, once we get through that secondary analysis, again, we'll probably be we'll be going through you know steps like mapping, uh, uh, getting quantification for your RNA seq, and then generating a lot of these objects, if you will, uh, for QC purposes, publication, etc. And once we're done with within uh, uh, CLC Genomics Workbench, we're going to really be able to take the information that we generate here and bring it into ingenuity pathway analysis where we can get a lot of information with regards to you know what's going on within our uh, data set first and foremost might be you know within canonical pathways you know what pathways are enriched so we can see maybe the, the size of the ball being enrichment meaning we have lots of genes or more genes that are in that uh, specific canonical pathway versus others and then in addition we also uh, within ingenuity pathway analysis have the ability to generate uh, predictions. And so if we look over here, we can, for instance, see that we have like this path pathogen-induced cytokine signaling pathway, which is this orange uh, um, ball right here. And what we can see here is that this represents a activi activated, um, and again, it's predicted. And so what we're utilizing is the information within Ingenuity's knowledge base to generate this prediction. Um, in addition, we can also see that we have this other color, blue, and these blue um, hot spots on the graph represent inhibited pathways. And so the darker the blue, the more inhibited. And so we can see, for instance, like oxidated phosphorylation is predicted to be inhibited in this path. Uh, that pathway is predicted to be inhibited in this <clears throat> comparison that we're looking at. In addition to sort of getting like an overview of, you know, how those pathways are going and utilizing predictive uh, information, we can also dive into those pathways and get more of like a network type of visualization. 
And in this, we will get a little bit more information with regards to uh, and actually utilizing like your measurements. So here within um, sort of this pathway, when it's open, we'll notice that we have a lot of these red molecules uh, throughout this um, throughout this pathway. Red is a representation, right, of an increase in the observed differential expression, right? So that means it's a measurement and it passed our filters. It was significant. And so again, anything that's red in this pathway is predicted to be upregulated or uh, different in, in the differential expression. And then if we had anything green, we would see things that were downregulated. So we're gonna understand what's going on from a canonical pathway through the use of ingenuity pathway analysis. And then it, it, <clears throat> explore the information even further through the use of, you know, the up, maybe the upstream regulator information where in this case, we may have a, a specific cytokine, maybe TH1. And we're trying to understand, well, how is TH1 maybe driving uh, what we see in our data set? So what we can see in this case, again, we have some predicted molecules, and we also have some of the measurement molecules as well. Um, again, orange and blue being predictive, and green and red being actual measured molecules. And so we can utilizing the up and down pattern of your molecules in your data set, it can predict what are the upstream regulators and what are their behaviors uh, that are going on within those upstream regulators. And then last, what we're gonna be able to do is also look at um, a comparison. And I, I, I kind of bring this up because many of uh, the customers that I've dealt with usually have multiple time points, or as I had mentioned before, you might have uh, a knockout versus a uh, wild type, and then a responder versus non-responder. Or in this case, you may be looking at what's the difference in uh, sex with regards to, um, you know, the experiment that we're looking at. And, you know, are there any specific pathways that maybe are different between uh, the male-female groups here? And we can see, for instance, like this IL-12 signaling uh, production pathway is actually different between um between male and female um and maybe this is something that we would want to explore if we saw something phenotypically different between those two groups as well and if we were to explore this pathway we could again sort of visualize it in that um uh, network visualization type of view that we've already seen um or we can actually explore the genes as a heat map where we can uh, again, see certain genes that were upregulated in the male um, that really didn't have any change in the female uh, population. And then the opposite is true down below where we have some other genes that were both, you know, upregulated and downregulated in the female that were unchanged in that male population. And so what we want to be able to do is be able to take those different groups and whatnot and generate a comparison. And so that will give us a way of exploring and understanding what's going on within our um, within our samples. And what I was trying to sort of over give you a quick overview of what we're going to be doing today is really taking our uh, applications like CLC Genomics Workbench and Ingenuity Pathway Analysis um, and talk about a workflow that we can where we can start with you know importing our FASTQ file. So again, that's going to be after. You've already run your sequencing data. We're going to talk about how we can take that sequencing, like that FASTQ data, bring that into the to CLC Bio, um, and to generate those different figures that I was mentioning 
um, like the PCA plot that we can use for like QC metrics, our volcano plot or differential gene expression lists, uh, things like Venn diagrams. Um, and I, if I didn't, I'll, I'll reiterate uh, generating, you know, heat maps based on, you know, maybe statistically relevant genes. Um, and then, of course, once we were okay with the data, we saw that we had high quality data. It made sense to sort of, you know, continually use our time or your time, if you will, to explore um, the results. Uh, we'll talk about how we can upload the data from CLC Bio into IPA. I'm going to show one way with, you know, within the applications, because obviously CLC Bio is owned by Kyogen, IPA owned by Kyogen. So there is an integration between the two. I'm just making it very, very clear. And I, I will iterate it again. They are independent applications. You do not require to have both of them to do any of the, uh, if you wanted to just have secondary analysis, you could just have CLC Bio. If you only wanted to do interpretation and you have some pipeline for your secondary analysis already, you could just use Ingenuity Pathway Analysis um, and really go and upload your Excel files and do the analysis from there. So again, I, I, I'm going to reiterate that later as well, but I just always like to make that uh, that caveat because it always comes up um, when we get into the application and I show it of, well, do I need both of these? And again, you do not require both of them. You can you know, bring in uh, files into either one of the uh, applications and, and start there, if you will. So what do we want to start at first, right, is going to be, oh, that's why, uh, importing our reads and our metadata into the CLC Genomics Workbench. And of course, you know, I think it's important to sort of define, well, what is the CLC Genomics Workbench uh, before we, you know, talk about just bringing the data into the application itself. And so really the genomics workbench is, is well, what we're gonna be looking at, the genomics workbench is a, you know, desktop uh, analysis software for doing a variety of different secondary analysis types of uh, functions. And we'll, I'll get into more detail in just a slide or two. Um, within this, again, it works on really any of your sequencing vendors. So Illumina, Ion Torrent, Oxford Nanopore, PacBio, uh, BGI, MGI, that type of data, really. Um, there hasn't been much data that we've had, um, you know, issues sort of processing. And of course, this is something that, you know, we have customers across academia, government, and, you know, pharmaceutical or industry types of spaces. Um, it runs on Linux, Windows, or Mac, so it's cross-platform uh, as you as it regards to operating system. And really, it has a large variety of functionalities that sort of stem from what I'm going to call traditional molecular biology. Um, and so things for uh, things for what we would call like classical sequence analysis, which might be like, you know, um, uh, cloning, primer design, um, information along those lines, molecular biology tools, Sanger sequencing, BLAST, functionalities. Um, of course, we also have tools for like preparing sequencing data, um, getting NGS QC reports, trimming reads, um, demultiplexing. Um, and then we do try to break them down into sort of categories here. Um, and, you know, if you think about from an NGS point of view, 
there's a lot of like resequencing types of functionalities, if you will, or, you know, pipelines that you could imagine from, you know, looking at variants for, you know, oncology types of purposes, or maybe hereditary diseases, or you might be looking at, you know, variants within a population of, you know, um, wastewater or something along those lines. So uh, a lot of applications, if you will, with regards to what I would call resequencing um, and a large variety of functionality within it. Of course, uh, what we'll be looking at <clears throat> a lot today is really around this like RNA-seq uh, types of functionality. But this is really where we'll get into specific functionalities for, you know, RNA-seq, small RNA. Um, of course, you'll see applications for microarray. Um, and then, you know, in epigenomics, like ChIP-seq and bisulfite sequencing, Genovo assembly. Um, and then you'll notice one thing that says down here is, you know, this installed workflows. Um, and we'll get into this in just a moment of, you know, there are ways of building, you know, pipelines or workflows within the application where we may take a variety of these independent tools and then mm, string them together to sort of build a pipeline. Um, and so the applications or the use cases for uh, CLC Genomics Workbench are very vast. Um, again, we are really just focused on one small sort of facet of the functionality of the workbench. Um, and my goals really for, um, you know, talking about the CLC Genomics Workbench today are really to try to emphasize the fact that this is going to be easy to use, right? So it is a GUI application. What that means, it has a graphical user interface. Um, so everything is, you know, picture oriented, if you will, or if you're running an analysis, it runs things through, you know, a guided set of wizards where, you know, it's going to always tell you what it's looking for. Like, hey, I want sequencing reads or um, I wanted uh, my mapping options. So it's really going to walk us through all of that information, um, you know, through those different wizards. Again, I think that this whole wizard driven and GUI interface are sort of, you know, making it easy to use. Um, but again, uh, you know, it depends on how you want to look at things. Um, in addition, I had already mentioned and we'll get into a little bit more detail as well. Um, but there is a pipeline um, editor or workflow um, functionality within the application. Um, and we can utilize this. Um, we use this the workbench to generate a lot of different um, publication like graphics, as we saw from the introduction of like the PCA plot, the heat map, the volcano um, plot. And so, as I had mentioned, a lot of us use those in publications um, as a way of, you know, communicating, you know, what's going on within the data um, and, you know, really, you know, utilize that um, for, you know, being able to communicate uh, with colleagues. And then, you know, one other thing that's really, I think, important and really useful from, um, you know, a commercial perspective, of course, we have a lot of tutorials um, and help available. Um, and then, of course, you know, uh, support that you would have access to within uh, the application to get a lot of uh, information about, well, how do I do something? Maybe, you know, again, there are a lot of, there. there's a lot of options within some of these parameters that you have control over. So you may have some specific questions about certain functionalities or how a parameter may impact your results. And what we're going to look at today 
is really a case study um, that my colleague had uh, processed is pediatric um, ulcerative colitis um, coming from colon tissue. And so this was just a, uh, a project that we could find on, you know, SRA, GS, uh, GSCA types of, um, uh, um, or in this case, European nucleotide archive, kind of like SRA, um, where we can download uh, data. In this case, we downloaded FASTQ files from this um, resource, and then we can easily take that information and process it through uh, the genomics workbench. And within processing the um, tools or processing the data within the genomics workbench, there's really two options that we can, you know, go ahead and, and process this uh, through. One being a very piecemeal, one at a time uh, type of functionality where, you know, we would actually, you know, take our reads and, you know, map them or get a quantification using our RNA-seq type of functionality and take the output from that and go into sort of differential expression, creating PCA plots. Um, and so we can do all of this as sort of independent and wait for an analysis to stop, uh, happen and then take the output and go into the next step. Um, but alongside of that, there's also the ability, um, as I've mentioned earlier, to have sort of pipelines built. I um, mean, you know, this is something that you can uh, build yourself or uh, there are a lot of sort of uh, pre-built template type of workflows that you can utilize um, as sort of starting points, building blocks, uh, depending on maybe you change certain, you know, uh, functions within your, uh, your or certain protocols within your your sample prep that you need to address informatically before you can do RNA-seq, like trimming an adapter or something along those lines. Um, again, you know, we could modify this uh, workflow um, to sort of do what we would want it to do um, and meet our needs. So again, I, I don't really, I'm a, more of a let's see it in the application than uh, do it uh, or show within the slide. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to actually jump into the genomics workbench, right? And we're going to talk about importing our, our FASTQ files, right? Um, bringing in that metadata and getting to a point where, you know, we can get set up to start, start running our RNA-seq analysis. And I see uh, Jeff uh, or Kristen have launched a poll. So if you could take the time to uh, uh, read that or uh, answer the poll, that would be uh, perfect. So I get a little messed up when we came in. So before I jump into, you know, really just let's uh, hit the ground running, I always like to give everyone just a quick lay of the land. Um, just to make things uh, a little bit easier to digest. Um, there are your typical, you know, things up top, file, edit, you know, those types of things that you would uh, normally attribute to, you know, an application. Um, in addition, uh, where I, I will focus uh, is in this first sort of ribbon, if you will. Um, here, we'll notice a couple things that are going to be uh, quite useful uh, for, you know, processing data within the workbench. Uh, one being this import function. Uh, so we talked about bringing in or needing to bring in our FASTQ files. Uh, so bringing in means importing our data. And so we'll talk about how uh, we can import our reads. And I tend to use that top button for the importing of a lot of my data. There are other options, but again, uh, for today's purpose, that's how I'm going to import that data. 
Um, in addition, uh, you may generate objects. We talked about a lot of those outputs, uh, or you might create an object like an Excel table that you want to export. And so if we're trying to export a file, uh, in an Excel table, CSV, JSON type of file, we'd utilize export. And for all of our pretty pictures that we would want to generate, uh, when I actually do have a picture available, uh, we would see that this graphics button would be uh, available. Um, and so those, are, I want to say, are the th uh, three uh, main <clears throat> functionalities in the left-hand side top toolbar. Um, and I know one that some of my colleagues like to use a lot and uh, some customers is this little launch button. Uh, this is really just a quick way of searching the toolbox that we will be sort of discussing in just one moment. Uh, so again, really just these top uh, functions right here are, are what I tend to utilize in that top ribbon. Um, and then just uh, across the, the right-hand side on the upper right-hand side, a couple of things that are could, uh, quite useful as well. Um, there is a plugin manager. So if you are doing things like single cell or microbial genomics, uh, I'm going to talk about our IPA um, plugin that allows me just to push my data into Ingenuity Pathway Analysis. So the Workbench, we can expand its functionality through plugins. Um, in addition, there is a nice reference manager. Uh, so I can download most uh, a good variety of sort of model organisms through that reference uh, manager. And then directly next to that is a download function. Um, maybe I couldn't find that reference in our uh, model organism, and I want to download something from NCBI. That download function connects to NCBI for downloading sequences, uh, connects to things like SRA for downloading um, FASTQ files. Um, and you can also download like, protein structures, things along those lines. Um, and the last two that we can see up here is really workflows. Uh, just gives me a way of starting or building from scratch a given workflow. Uh, we won't really be utilizing that today. I'll just kind of point out where some of those template workflows are. Um, and then last, and I definitely will say not least, is really the support option. Uh, and so if you run into any issues within the workbench, contact support. It gives us a good understanding of you know what's going on in the workbench, where an error may be. Um, and so it might be a bug that we need to resolve in the application. And you reporting it could be very helpful in the future. Now, the last two little areas that I'm going to point, point out before we actually get into the analysis are, are just going to be this... Um, navigation area uh the navigation area is where we can where all the data is going to be stored and this is just data stored within my uh, uh local file system um and so here we just have folders within folders files within folders etc uh just where all my data is stored and then just below that we'll notice the toolbox and the toolbox again are where all of those individual applications exist uh, that we can either access and run independently or build into, you know, things like pipelines and things along those lines within the application. So to get started, as I had mentioned, we need to import our reads, right? And so the FASTQ files that I had downloaded from our uh, from that European, uh, basically, SRA type of site, I want to bring them into my workbench. And again, we kind of do that through that import function in the upper left-hand corner. And I, when I click on that import, I do get presented with several options of, well, what do you want to import? 
and it, hopefully this makes life easier. Um, we can see that our sequencing uh, providers sort of fit, fall uh, kind of towards the top third. Um, if we we're bringing in Illumina data, obviously we would simply click on Illumina and that's where this data uh, came from. So it was sequenced on an, uh, an Illumina sequencer. And so when we click on that, it simply will ask us, where do we want to run this? And this is because we do have a platform type of technology where um, we can leverage on-site HPC environment through our product called the CLC Genomic Server. In addition, you may want to migrate things to like AWS and it does have, uh, we do have a cloud offering as well. And so I get asked where I want to run it because it I, I can usually choose a variety of different locations. And I would say it depends on sort of the volume, number of samples that I'm needing to process, turnaround time, um, that I may use like the, our cloud uh, tools rather than my local workbench. For today, we're running everything on my local workbench, so my laptop. So everything will be selected as workbench. And that just really means running on the machine you're sitting at. As I mentioned, I want to import my reads. Um, and we can do that by either having our reads on our local file system. If we have data already in base space, we can you know, connect to our base space account, bring in data directly from there. Um, or if you're just storing data on S3 and you want to bring data in from S3, uh, we do have that ability to connect uh, once it's configured uh, to your like S3 uh, buckets and bring in data directly from um, Amazon. Again, just trying to make things a little bit more streamlined. As I mentioned today, I'm really kind of working just on my file system. Um, and so I'm just gonna click on uh, location is file system. And in this case, I'm gonna just say add folder. Um, and the folder that I wanna add is this FASTQ files. Uh, and so within this FASTQ files, I actually have 14 samples or 28 files. The reason why there's 28 files, you'll notice here that there's an R1, R2. This is actually paired data. Um, and that's going to require that this paired is uh, paired reads is uh, checked. Uh, it will be by default. And so I'm just kind of verifying that, you know, what type of data I'm bringing in is sort of uh, making sense. Uh, it's paired data. There are some other options here, like discarding read name, discarding quality score. Um, really, they just are used to help save disk space. Um, I really kind of get uh, leery about discarding quality scores, except for like microRNA. Um, but uh, generally speaking, uh, uh, quality scores are used for like variant calling and things like that. So um, maybe discarding the read name is just a way of saving, you know, some disk space. Other than that, you know, I would leave things sort of set for default for especially what we're looking for uh, doing our like sort of read mapping or RNA-seq quantification. Um, if I was doing something like de novo assembly, I may have some, um, you know, more refined uh, paired distance based on um, what I know, uh, what how I did my actual sample prep and sequencing. And when we bring in this data, you'll notice it goes, well, we're, what are we importing? Now it just says, well, where do you want to save it? Um, I, again, I'm going to use save rather than open because, again, there's 14 files. And so we use this save button. I am a huge fan of this save into subfolders as a way of just kind of keeping things organized and uh, easier to manage later on. And so we'll just create this uh, batch unit uh, per sub per, per sample. And 
I'm going to generate a new folder or create a new folder here. Uh, we'll call this uh, 10, 17, 23. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I'll just use the date as a way of sort of defining that folder. And in fact, I'm going to just stick another one called reads inside of it, right? So I just defined my project. And now I'm bringing in my reads uh, because, again, we'll bring in metadata and other things along those lines. And so we can just highlight that reads folder and hit finish. Right. And so what that does is it, it goes through, it's going to import each one of those samples. Um, and then as we'll see here, it, it will, you know, create a folder for each of those samples as they get imported into the workbench. Right. So 14 of them uh, doesn't really take that long. Um, it does give me a nice opportunity, right, to talk about metadata real quick. Um, and what our next step is, is really bringing in information about our samples. And so when I talk about metadata, not that one. Here we go. What I'm referring to is any information about our samples that isn't really like sequencing data. Right. And so what we can see here is that the first column is our accession number or our sample identifier. And this is really the key column. And all of these other columns can have any information that we want in them. Like, I mean, we can see like library strategy, right? Probably not anything that I really care about, um, but it was when I downloaded the data, this was the information that was provided from SRA. Um, and we can see like, you know, were they normal samples? Were they ulcerative colitis? Um, we can see were they, you know, female, male, uh age so there's just information about those samples um and we're going to utilize this as a way of you know being able to uh ask questions of the data right so we might want to go well what's the difference between all my normal and my disease samples right and then not having to know what their ids are is a lot easier right because you know keeping track of what id belongs to which group is a little bit is difficult and so we're just going to be able to utilize the metadata in these columns where we could say, I want to compare disease versus uh, ulcerative colitis or utilizing this disease column. Um, and it, again, it will give us a way of just sort of creating those comparisons very easily. In addition, you know, we might want to control for a confounding um, factor. Uh, something could be like uh, sex, for instance, or if you had patients before and after you would want to control for, say, the individual. Uh, you'll notice each one here is a unique uh, individual that we're sort of sampling. Um, and so we we won't be controlling for, you know, that type of information. Again, metadata, my biggest takeaway here is really it's an Excel file. The first column here is our key column that's going to allow us to sort of marry this additional information uh, to our sample uh, data in the application. So again, we import, and then now we're importing metadata. And what we'll do is simply browse that Excel file. And that's actually in my FASTQ folders. Here's this Excel folder or Excel file. And I just simply point to it. Now, what I get a preview of are just all the columns and the information that's within that metadata file. Um, so I just simply say, okay, well, it looks good. That's what I expected. So when I click next here, it just says, what is the data that this metadata file should be associated with? This is where I would utilize a little magnifying glass 
and simply right click on this reads folder, say use content recursively. And now I've selected 14 samples, right? So again, I right clicked on that reads folder and said use content recursively to sort of make that selection so I didn't have to go into each one of these folder and push them over to the right. So all I'm doing is taking the reads that I've imported and matching them to this Excel file. And generally it might be on default, will sort of be on this exact match where it's expecting the same exact name in the workbench as in that uh, Excel sheet. However, a lot of times when we import data into the workbench, uh, in this case, like paired data, we'll often, we'll get appended with the word paired to, at the end. And so I need to utilize that prefix because really I'm just matching the prefix and the suffixes is sort of just along for the ride in this case. And what I'll do is once more, kind of create a new folder here metadata and say finish. And now that brings in the metadata into the workbench. And really all it is is a table that we can, you know, interact with. So if I double click and open it, now it looks exactly the same as it did sort of in Excel or the preview. However, if you click down below and say find associated data, it's actually going to find me anything that's been associated with that specific file. And in this case, it's just going to be that one read object uh, because that's all that's associated. Um, if we had already run, you know, results uh, on this data, sort of like my uh, already done uh, analyses, when we click on that sort of find um, find associated data, you'll notice the results for that sample are also going to be visible. So that result, uh, that metadata table. Um, is a way of uh, sort of just kind of keeping track of samples, uh, making it easy to find samples, uh, to generate sub, sub, sub samples if we wanted to. Uh, for instance, if you wanted to, you know, say I only want uh, male samples, you could, you know, utilize this as uh, the metadata as just a quick way of filtering those down, finding the appropriate data, and then, you know, getting into the next step. So that metadata, um, couple, you know, utilized for uh, quantifying differential expression, but can also be used to sort of find samples, create subsets, uh, you know, on a very quick manner as well. So I would say the reads metadata are you are, are definitely going to be something that you would need to sort of import per project, if you will. Um, but there are some, you know, I guess, base files, if you will, uh, that we would also need if we want to sort of run RNA-seq. Um, I mentioned uh, sort of a reference manager in the upper right-hand corner. And just to sort of give you a quick preview of the reference manager, this just gives us a place to really downloading some, you know, model organisms. You'll notice, you know, cow, horse, uh, homo sapien, mouse. Um, there are also what we refer to as kaigen sets. Um, and these are sort of pre-grouped uh, together files for, you know, maybe specific things like single cell, where there's a cell classifier type of file that needs to be, you know, utilized in those types of workflows. And so these Kyogen sets are really linked to a lot of the workflows, make it a lot easier to make sure that you're uh, keeping consistency for different references across, um, you know, your pipeline uh, and uh, uh, different um workflows, for instance.
So when we download references or anything along those lines, they just get stored in a little reference folder over here. And again, we can all go back and utilize them, you know, at a later date. Uh, so those sequences that we're downloading from that reference manager, I'm going to say are sort of a more of a, a one off, if you will. Right. And I, I won't really need to sort of download that information uh, regularly or anything like that. Um, and so now we we have our our reads that we've imported into the application, right? We have our metadata that we're going to be able to utilize in uh, our different objects and also to calculate differential expression. And as I had mentioned, you know, just some information about how we can easily get references within the tool. We can now sort of get a we can now um, start looking at you know how we would, you know, analyze this type of data for, you know, running something like um, uh, RNA-seq. Um, and so for for running the workbench or running RNA-seq, as I mentioned, for today's purpose, we're really going to look at individual uh, steps. And all of the RNA-seq types of function are really found within, obviously, the RNA-seq small RNA analysis tools within our toolbox down below. There's a couple ways that we can launch these jobs. So obviously, I, I know where this tool is. Um, and we can find that RNA-seq analysis just by navigating through that toolbox. Um, but there's also a quick way of doing that through launch. And it, I like to point this out because some people aren't as familiar with the application. So if we need to you know, find the tools that we're running, something like RNA-seq, we can easily come in, type in the um, you know keywords that we're looking for. And we'll notice that anything that's sort of RNA-seq in its keyword um, is going to be available for us to sort of you know, easily access or run right from this quick launch button. Um, and so that little rocket ship in the top toolbar, you'll probably find, you know, quite useful if you're not familiar, you know, maybe where all the tools are. You can just simply use keywords to find the algorithms or tools that you're looking for and simply access it through this uh, open button. Again, everything's wizard driven. So we saw this before when we were, you know, importing data or, um, anything along those lines, it asks, well, where do I want to run this, right? And so I want to run this on my workbench. And what we want to run our RNA-seq on are all of the reads that we just imported. And so again, um, I, I can uh, right-click and say, use content recursively and select all 14 samples. And when I do this, I want to make sure when I run this as independent tools that I use this option for batch analysis, because what this will do is actually process, we'll call it 977, and then finish 977 and go to 978, and then 979. And so it does it sort of in a systematic approach or in, uh, in series with each other. Um, and it just gives us the ability to you know process everything uh, the same way. Uh, without having to manually start each sample. And so again, I'm selecting all my elements, making sure batch is checked here, 
And then when we click next, it just gives us a quick preview um, and allows me just to verify that, you know, I have one input for each of my sort of units, my batch units that are going to be processed. And now when we, again, very wizard driven, we can see we've set, we made sure that we've, you know, defined our batch units. And now it's just, well, what references genome are you using? And in this case, again, uh, we are using a genome annotated with genes and transcripts. Um, and if we hover over this, you'll notice that, you know, that's, you know, for eukaryotic genomes, if you had prokaryotic genomes, we would only have annotated with genes only. And some customers actually just have like an EST list, um, less, I don't run into that as much anymore, but you could also just have a list of sequences where we give you an expression for each sequence. Now, if you're unsure about what something means, obviously you hopefully notice that when I hover over something, I get a quick balloon tip and it gives you some quick information about what a, a parameter might be or um, you know the impact of that type of setting. You also can hit that little help button and that gives you information about, you know, write about RNA-seq because that's what we're running and gives you information about, you know, how the algorithm is, you know, how it's run, uh, you know, reads and reference settings, you know, mapping settings, uh, estimation settings. So really that help button gets you a lot of contextual information with regards to RNA-seq. And all we need to do is define our reference genomes here. Um, and so here it would need a sequence, for instance, And it would it wanted a gene check, which was already defined, and also a um, uh, mRNA track as well. Sorry, I can't multitask. Right, and so here again, we just need to define the reference genome, the gene track, the mRNA track, and this just gives us a way when we do the counting to make sure that we're counting things right and giving sort of the appropriate uh, genes, uh, the right information. Um, in addition, we have the ability to control all of our mapping settings. Uh, and so how reads are mapped and what are some of the penalties and rules with regards to, you know, doing that type of, you know, mapping. And for today's purpose, I'm not going to get into great detail about all of those different parameters, um, but we do have a lot of help under the help again. And I'm always happy to have one-on-one -on -one sessions or smaller group uh, sessions as well. And then what we would want to make sure that we set are, well, what are, like, how, what, did I do a strand-specific RNA-seq? This would be more of a protocol from the, the sequence, or sorry, the sample prep. Um, and so this is well upstream. And so, you know, are all your reads in the forward direction? Are all of them in the reverse direction? Um, and it kind of, it, it just, just, just depends on which, um, you know, uh, protocol you're utilizing from, say, Illumina or, or whatever uh, vendor you are. Also, well, what type of RNA-seq? Um, is it bulk RNA-seq? Is it just using three prime uh, sequencing? And then, you know, we can always handle, how do we want to handle these expression values? Um, like total counts, RPKM, TPM. And so we can use any of these sort of uh, values as a way to calculate, you know, an expression value. Um, and utilize that information as a, you know, uh, per sample uh, uh, information that we can then utilize for 
doing our differential expression in comparison as we get uh, a little bit further along. Um, and because we're looking at paired reads, we can also uh, set information for uh, fusions. And then the last step within our wizard is really just how do we want to handle our results? And when we do anything in like batch or workflows, we're only going to see an option for saving just because it doesn't know how many, you know, might have 100, ob 100 samples and five objects. And now all of a sudden it's trying to open up 500 things. Uh, doesn't really make sense. Uh, so again, I like to save into a specified folder here um, and then create a subfolder. And then in this case, we would just say, all right, in my 10, 17, 23, we have our, our RNA results. I'll click finish. Now that starts that job. We can see, for instance, under processes that I have a batch process going on, which is going to represent all 14 samples. So right now you'll notice zero of 14 are done. And because I'm only running things on my workbench, it's running one sample at a time. And we can see here that it's preparing a reference sequence, you know, in, in starting that mapping job. And so for every, uh, whenever a job is running within the workbench, we can easily monitor how that job is going. Uh, in addition, these little drop down arrows over here would allow me to go in and stop or pause a workflow um, if that's something that we're able to do, uh, depending on sort of the process. So right now we've gotten to the point where we've imported our FASTQ files. Right. And again, that was just a matter of utilizing the import button in the top toolbar um, or click on file import and choosing the, the appropriate sequencing vendor that we that you're using. Today's data was coming from Illuminus. That's what we selected. Um, we chose to import our folder. I selected all 28 files um, and that really just imported 14 samples into that application for us. Once we brought the uh, our, the the reason, my next step was to bring in the metadata. As I mentioned, metadata is really just going to give us information about those samples. Um, and in our case, what we cared about maybe is disease, sex, things like that. Again, it's just going to allow us to utilize that information for calculating differential gene expression. And once we had the metadata in, we had to make that association. And so we did associate the reads with the metadata table. And as I was showing, that's a good way of being able to find results uh, afterwards or you know, making subsets if you need to for maybe specific uh, subgroups like male and or female. Uh, and again, it could be utilized uh, for several other um, use cases rather than just uh, for the differential expression. And then we launched the RNA-seq, which gave us the ability to sort of do that differential expression, uh, or sorry, do the counting uh, and generate our output, which we'll uh, see in just a moment, uh, where we clicked on that launch button. Um, we typed in RNA-seq. We were able to find that um, RNA-seq tool. Um, as I mentioned, we selected all of the reads, and again, that was easily done by you know, right-clicking, saying add content recursively. And because we're doing this as like sort of piecemeal, we want to make sure that we do a batch analysis so that way each sample gets processed by itself.
And then again, very wizard driven. So once we go, uh, you know, we selected our sequencing data, uh, we made sure that the overview looked appropriately. Um, we would then just simply define the reference. Um, again, in this case, it was a human reference genome. You can use any uh, organism for reference, as you can see, you know, depending on if it's prokaryotic, eukaryotic type of genome. We are just sitting there and flagging different um, options within the um, RNA-seq tool. And of course, we had a lot of parameters and options with regards to, uh, you know, controlling uh, how the reads are mapped and the outputs that we're going to generate. Other questions I can answer, Dev? This is a good, I think, a good uh, time for me to take a deep breath, uh, sort of get some feedback, uh, make sure everyone's, uh, uh, my speed is all right. Uh, in addition, uh, see if there's any uh, additional questions or anything along those lines that I should be able or should address. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Sean. Um, so just a few things before we get into the questions that have um, been going on here. I am going to share today's slides in uh, the chat box for once again, for folks that might have joined a little bit late. Um, there is a wealth of information on these slides, including uh, helpful links to um, different uh, things that we're going over today. And then some other links that I'm going to share as well are going to be links out to our uh, IPA and CLC certification info and registration page. So please check those out if you would like to uh, be, be a part of the certification classes. Okay, so Sean, do, um, do you have any information on what the default mapping tool is for um, RNA-seq data and CLC genomics? So it is a proprietary uh, algorithm. I mean, again, it is based on open source tools uh, like BWA and Bowtie types of uh, methodologies. Um, again, it, it is our proprietary version. And the reason why we rewrite things is that, you know, we can, you know, make them utilize a lot less RAM and, you know, CPU purposes for sort of getting the same job done. Awesome. I'm also going to share the white paper um, for okay. the CLC uh, read mapper in the chat box. So you can um, have a look at that as well. All uh, right, so uh, some of the other questions that have popped up is, um, do we have a variant detection tool in CLC Genomics Workbench? And um, would we be able to correlate uh, that with the expression of isoforms in the RNA-seq data? Sure. Um, so, I mean, there is a, uh, I mean, a paired match, if you will, where you do RNA-seq with um, like a DNA seq and sort of compare variants and expression across uh, those samples. So, if that's what they're they're looking to do, I think that there um, is actually a specific workflow uh, that's uh, part of our biomedical uh, workbench plugin uh, that would. Um, look at comparing variants in DNA and RNA samples. Uh, and so it would do that sort of comparison um, across your two samples. 
Awesome. Uh, another question is, um, it seems like there's a lot of folks that are voting for the option to be able to assemble the genome uh, de novo. Can CLC help with that? Sure thing. Um, so there's a couple of de novo assembly uh, functionalities within the tool um, for either like things like long read, uh, for sort of traditional assembly, for metagenomics. Um, and then there's a couple tutorials and I've given a couple talks on doing like uh, de novo assembly of meta, the metagenome or metatranscriptome. Uh, so that may be uh, useful for uh, others to take a look at. Fabulous. And then one more question before I hand it back over. Um, mm -hmm. Is there an easy way for folks to go and find uh, like fast cues and all of that jazz from Geo within uh, CLC Workbench? Yes. Um, so uh, under the download, we can search for reads at SRA. Um, and so that that paper uh, usually has some, uh, you know, you might have a certain um uh, experiment. Uh, I don't remember the name off the top, uh, the number off the top of my head for the 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 UC data set. Uh, but you might want to look for you know waste, water, and SARS. I don't know. Uh, well, of course, I used a, a bad. Um, so yeah, we can search for you know different uh, parameters. Um, you can use just keywords like I just did like right now for wastewater. Um, you know, so if we just uh, typed in RNA seq or you know, something along those lines, you'd be able to find uh, samples. And this is kind of how the data that, you know, the example data, you know, how we got it anyway, was, you know, really just coming in here, making the selection, you know, downloading the reads and the metadata. And that's why the metadata has this SRA metadata table and why we have all that information about, you know, each of those samples. Fabulous. All right. So it looks like those are all the questions for now. So I will hand it back over to you. Um, I did gonna... notice one other one was just like under you had multiple lanes and I'm just going to point that yeah. out. If Perfect. you have joined reads from different lanes. So in the import, sorry, I just saw that question. There's a little checkbox. So if you have samples that are in multiple lanes, you should be able to just check this little box off and it will uh, should join those lanes into a single uh, object to be processed in the workbench. Perfect. Sorry. You are. No, you're great. Thank you so much, Sean, for, yep. for answering that. Yeah. So uh, handing the show back over to you. Thank you uh, so far so far for this wonderful presentation. For sure. All right. And so what I want to do now is, you know, really, we talked about getting the reads in, how we uh, do sort of that quantification. But what we really care about is really the, you know, the figures, uh, the DE uh, results that we can then generate and then uploading those into IPA. And so again, jumping back into the workbench here, um, we can easily create, so I'm gonna stop that job. Um, we can easily uh, create these um, outputs. As I mentioned, maybe we wanna start with a PCA plot um, as a good way of making sure or just seeing if there's any outliers within the data. Um, and once more going into the toolbox, we can see within RNA-seq, we have expression plots, and we can see, for instance, first and foremost, right on top is this PCA for RNA-seq. And when we double click on this, again, ask where we want to run it. We're going to run everything on our workbench. Uh, it says, well, what, what, yeah, the expression track that we want to utilize. Um, and so here we will put in our GE expression file. 
Uh, GE just means gene level expression. And so what we're going to look at is really gene level. Um, if you were looking at transcript level uh, type of data, you, you do get uh, transcript level expression values. Um, and what I'm going to do now, after I just put one of those GE samples or gene expression samples over, um, you can see that I can utilize my right click and add content recursively, and it will add the appropriate expression file from each of those subdirectories that we see here. So we have all 14 samples, right? Um, and now we can simply uh, click next um, and tell the application to open uh, the PCA plot. Um, and it, for anyone who wants more detail, I mean, there is a normalization that's actually happening uh, while this PCA is being generated, um, just so that way, you know, um, it isn't just looking at raw counts. Um, and our result for the PCA plot, I'll just, oh, well, it doesn't take much time to run, uh, but we can open up the result, uh, whatever. Uh, and what we can see here is, you know, we have our PCA plot. Um, some, you know, looks kind of interesting. For instance, we do have um, a large sort of collection of samples right here. Ooh, I'm not in my draw square button box. Right, so uh, a large group of samples right here. And then I would also say it's interesting that it looks like there's maybe two kind of outlier-ish samples you know, over here or, you know, two samples that aren't, you know, meeting that same uh, same type of expression patterns that we see for the other groups of sample. Um, and the nice thing that we can, uh, what we can utilize here is that metadata that we've brought in. So uh, this right-hand side panel allows us to control and edit the ob object here. Uh, and we can see things like age, uh, disease, and things along those lines. Um, and for this case, what we want to look at um, is, well, maybe why are these sort of grouping together? Um, we can see they're both ulcerative colitis samples just based on uh, the disease symbol uh, right now. Uh, but let's say for instance, we wanna look at, you know, say sex. We can see, well, these are both male and female samples, um, but our two male samples that are diseased, if you will, um, are outside of, you know, sort of the outliers to that group. Uh, so the healthy male or the control male samples, the female samples, and the female ulcerative colitis samples are all sort of in this group. And then the male ulcerative colitis samples are, are off in their own sort of realm as well. Uh, so again, this is sort of giving me a, well, something seems different in my samples, uh, specifically within the male uh, ulcerative colitis samples versus everything else. So when we talk about like doing the analysis downstream, I may want to compare, you know, ulcerative colitis versus normal, but I also might want to look at this as like male ulcerative colitis versus, you know, normal male and uh, normal female versus ulcerative colitis female. So PCA plot, really useful in sort of giving you an understanding of like what's going on in your data. Again, that right-hand side panel allows us to um, you know, utilize the metadata uh, and overlay that information. So again, we have our normal ulcerative colitis. And then again, we have male, female. So again, we can easily uh, change that information. And this is where graphics would come in handy, where we can export uh, the PCA plot in an image if we wanted to. 
So again, PCA plot, really good way of sort of getting a QC of, well, what's going on within my data. Another uh, QC that I should have mentioned as well was that when we run RNA-seq, you will get a um, QC plot for that RNA-seq per sample. Um, and we would, you know, maybe utilize that information to get a, a better understanding of, you know, just the quality of your data. Um, and we would be able to see that for each sample. I mentioned you get a gene level, transcript level expression value, but the RNA-seq tool also provided a, a QC report. Uh, gives me an understanding of like the number of reads. These were downsampled, um, you know, transcripts per gene, exons per transcript. Um, and then, you know, adapter read through, again, just quality information about my sample um, and that I can, you know, utilize for uh, making sure I'm, I'm using high quality data here. Right, so we can easily, yeah, uh, and so we can easily uh, now take that data. We created our PCA plot. We definitely see that there's something going on from a differential expression point of view, especially within the male. Uh, so what we want to do now is maybe calculate differential expression. Um, and in this case, we're going to calculate differential expression for RNA-seq. And when we do this, the input is going to be our expression tracks. Um, and so here we can take all groups. So we'll have all male and all female. So all 14 samples are being selected at this point in time. Configure a normal normalization method. Uh, and this is really just telling us like what uh, method did you use if you did like targeted uh, RNA-seq or small RNA-seq uh, or small RNA analysis. You can, you know, use like housekeeping genes as a way of doing normalization. Uh, but there are there is a normalization that always goes on and you can uh, find that information very quickly by going into the uh, help manual and uh, the information for uh, normalization uh, and things along those lines would be available here. The metadata, again, is quite useful here. It's going to tell us how we're comparing those results. And so I'm simply pointing to the metadata table that we brought in. And it says, well, what are we testing the uh, due to? And in this case, again, that's where we can go in and say, we're going to test due to uh, disease. Right. Then if we wanted to, we could control for, uh, if I wanted to just do case versus control, we would control for nothing. Uh, but if I wanted to, I could also control for sex because we definitely saw something going on within the male that we didn't see within the female population. So generally, maybe we want to control for sex as a confounding factor, which we can easily do in here as well. And then, of course, for saving this output or uh, generating the output, I, I would always save this. Um, and again, we can just select our 1017 folder. Right. Uh, and so the output for uh, running sort of differential gene expression is really just going to be a table, right? And so if we looked at normal versus alternative colitis, so this would be case versus control, we can see all of the gene names and then information about, you know, the log two fold change, fold change p-value. Again, really just a table. Um, this table can easily be seen as volcano plot by clicking in the lower left-hand corner uh, and jumping to those volcano plots pretty quickly.
Um, in addition, I mentioned a couple other outputs that could be quite useful uh, within you know, uh, my introduction, one being create a Venn diagram. And again, our input here would be our comparisons. And so if we wanted to, we could bring in uh, case versus control and then each of the subgroup, male and female, for instance, and generate a Venn diagram where we can see you know, what are the overlaps between them. And we can utilize this right-hand side panel to manipulate the, the object. And so I just simply uh, went to normal p-value rather than uh, FDR corrected p-value. And as I was saying uh, earlier, these are interactive tables uh, or interactive Venn diagram. If you open the table from this view, you can use this to make a uh, subgroup. So if I selected this, hundred and, this 1,013, 1,319, uh, if I click on it, it just selects that down below where we can create a subsection or even copy those gene names to clipboard, uh, clipboard for other uh, analysis. So the Venn diagram, just really quick ways of seeing what are the overlaps or the union or intersections between different data sets. And then the last uh, functionality or plot that we wanted to sort of generate was really sort of a, a, a heat map. Uh, and we can do that just through the create heat map for RNA-seq. Again, it's looking for the same input. So we'd be selecting our um, gene level expression values. And in this case, I'm using all 14 samples. And as I mentioned, we want to filter by statistics. So that allows us to select our uh, statistical comparison, for instance. Also, I just did case versus control. And we can say, use all the genes that have an absolute uh, full change greater than two and a, mm, a p-value greater than or less than, sorry, 0 0.05. And all that's going to do, generate us a, a heat map um, where we can uh, understand, again, across the x-axis here are all of our samples. We can clearly see that these two samples have, you know, differentially expressed molecules, right, uh, or genes in comparison to the rest of the group. And one more time, utilizing that right-hand side panel, we can easily see that uh, if we look at, like, sex, for instance, those are the male... Um, and more specifically, they're the male ultra, ultra UC patients. And so they obviously have a, a, something differentially expressed uh, in that group in comparison to, you know, what's going on elsewhere uh, in the female uh, UC versus normal patients. Kind of just trying to keep myself on track. Um, just to summarize what we had just done. We created a PCA plot. We utilized this really to find outliers, consistency within data sets. Um, we could see that that metadata or the male, um, you know, definitely had something different in comparison to the other samples. Um, we then looked a little bit further by calculating differential expression, which is how we made that Venn diagram. And the differential expression utilizes the metadata and any of the information in that metadata to be able to generate uh, the uh, the volcano plots or differentially expressed uh, matrix. And again, so we could look at that as a volcano plot um, and uh, select molecules on the, you know, that are upregulated up or downregulated. Um, and then we utilize that statistical comparison 
to be able to generate a heat map that, you know, met our criteria of, you know, a minimum uh, absolute fold change of two and a specific uh, p-value that needed to be created or met as well. Um, and we can utilize that information for creating that, that heat map where we easily saw that male group, uh, male disease group, uh, that was a uh, much different uh, expression profile versus the other uh, samples that we saw in uh, the the experiment. Now, there are a lot of um, ways that we can get data into Ingenuity Pathway Analysis. Um, and obviously, we're uh, just to try to keep things consistent. Uh, there is a plugin in our workbench that just allows for update or uh, up, uploading your Oh, uploading your data into Ingenuity Pathway Analysis. And so once that uh, plugin is installed, we could easily just go IPA um, and utilize our tool for pathway analysis. All this is going to do is allow us to select uh, samples or differentially expressed um, uh, matrix and upload those into IPA. Um, and right now I'm already logged in and it's going to log, uh, upload this into a, a specific project and analyze that data. Um, it chooses what to upload based on cutoffs here, uh, like a, a p-value fold change. And again, this is just what do you upload, and I upload more than what I'm going to analyze. And so that upload is going to have a lot more relaxed uh, parameters than what I'm going to analyze. And for the uh, from an analysis point of view, I'm doing like a, a fold change of two and a p-value. Uh, um, yeah, we'll do standard p-value 0.1. Right. And then when we click finish, that takes and uploads the data into Ingenuity Pathway Analysis. Um, and just to give you guys a sense of, well, what is Ingenuity Pathway Analysis? So I just uploaded my, my, my data into IPA. Um, and so what is IPA? I always like to make sure that I define that before we, you know, kind of get a little bit further along. But Ingenuity Pathway Analysis is a tool where they're, you know, over the last 20, probably two years now, uh, we've been curating findings, putting them into an ontology where we can take that information or your data set um, and apply your data to that ontology um, and generate predictions about maybe what's going on within uh, a given uh, map and uh, network map uh, and create directionality because of the relationships um, and information that's been uh, curated. As mentioned, every edge or arrow that kind of connects things together in uh, Ingenuity Pathway Analysis is, is representation of a finding, and those findings could be anything from, you know, activation, uh, expression types of findings that tend to be direct, uh, where you might know, like, losing a function of something increases the function of something else. Um, in addition, we'll look at, like, phosphorylation types of finding, correlations, and everything that we look in here with the uh, that uh, like these blue links would actually bring us directly out to um, the uh, PubMed findings for that specific um, uh, relationship. And then again, you know, this has been you know curated about twenty three years by PhD level scientists, um, and the information again is put into an ontology that we can then run our algorithms on and be able to um and then you know be able to take our um 
and run our uh, our data through this type of uh, analysis or uh, utilizing this database and get an understanding of, well, what's going on within sort of my uh, results. And so, you know, jumping into uh, IPA, for instance. Bear with me one second. It had timed out. And so the um, the data that we took from the workbench, which again is brought in, I guess so, thank you, uh, which was uploaded uh, through um, uh, the genomics workbench is going to be available in my Ingenuity Pathway Analysis uh, uh, Project Manager, uh, where we'd be able to sort of start looking at um, the data that's uploaded. And once the analysis, uh, core analysis finishes, we'd be able to explore those results within uh, Ingenuity Pathway Analysis. So just bear with me one second as uh, IPA opens up. Um, and while it's opening up, there's, I guess one thing I'll point out is, you know, I'm not gonna go into great detail on how to upload specific, all the different specific files. Um, as Deadbed mentioned uh, in the beginning, on uh, November 7th, there'll be a, like an introduction to IPA. We cover a lot of that type of information, you know, during those sessions where, uh, you know, how to upload all sorts of different file formats, uh, and things along those lines would all uh, be covered during that um, session. And so might be, uh, you know, to get all of those um, more detailed information about uploading data, um, specifically, you know, through the IPA import function, uh, I would suggest uh, attending the November 7th um, introduction to IPA. Perfect. Uh, so now that uh, my um, data has opened up, our IPA has opened up, uh, we can go ahead and take a look at data that was uploaded into uh, IPA. So the data set files here, and again, we can see they're uploaded twice just because I've done them twice today. Uh, we have the males, females, and our normal group or our normal versus ulcerative colitis. So we have three different comparisons that we're looking at. Um, and we've already run what is referred to as a core analysis uh, within IPA as that was initiated through uh, the upload of the data from the CLC workbench. Again, a nice uh, feature of that workbench. And so not only did it upload those files, it also ran, as I mentioned, what we call core analysis. And we can see, for instance, down here, we have the analysis for by uh, UC versus normal, UC versus normal females, UC versus normal males. If we look at the overall um, sort of UC versus normal uh, and explore sort of what we can get get from a uh, canonical, or sorry, what we can get from a core analysis, uh, we first and foremost get a really good understanding of, from a summary of like, well, what's going on? And we can see certain pathways, canonical pathways that are enriched. We also can get an understanding of maybe some of the upstream regulators that could be, you know, uh, key components to, you know, explaining why, why certain things are expressed are up or down regulated in my data set. 
And so, uh, again, summaries are right. Um, we do we have recently turned the the kind of the summary page into a graphical summary. Uh, I would say the benefit here just it kind of gives you a way of understanding how uh, maybe you know molecules and pathways are interacting with each other. Um, and so, really, the graphical summary is just a, a way of making a picture out of that whole summary page. And we can see, you know, certain molecules that maybe are you know key to a lot of the functions that are uh, being activated or uh, controlling a lot of the other uh, sort of downstream molecules. Uh, this is a I, I utilize this as more of a bioinformatician as a way of well, what might I want to look at when I explore things like pathways right, or upstream analysis. And so that graphical summary uh, really just helping me, uh, you know, get uh, maybe uh, generate some hypotheses or maybe even just a starting point um, uh, for sort of analysis types of purposes. Perfect. And so, I wanted to spend a second uh, within the pathways, just as though, because this tends to be, um, I would say, uh, uh, what's utilized within IPA uh, the most. And so when we talk about pathways, what we're doing is giving you an understanding of what pathways are enriched. So the height of the bar is telling me that the pathway is enriched in my data. Right. And so the, it's the negative log P value. And now we can see, for instance, we have these orange bars and we have blue bars. Again, going back to what we saw in the beginning, uh, those are all about predictions. And that's utilizing this sort of Z score, uh, either a positive, meaning a activation or a negative Z score, again, representing an, an, an inhibition uh, or predicted inhibition of that given canonical pathway. And the way it, it goes about um, doing this is utilizing, again, that knowledge base. And so if we look at any of these given canonical pathways, so I clicked on this uh, pathogen-induced cytokine storm signaling pathway. Um, and just by clicking on the bar once, we can see very quickly we have about 40 molecules in my data set that are part of that canonical pathway. And then the reason why it's predicted to be activated is that my measurement here, right, are is very uh, is in the same pattern as what this expected column is. So when this, when these two columns equal each other, we will see that it's predicted to be activated. When those two columns do not equal each other or anti-correlated to each other, we will end up seeing something like this IL ten signaling. Uh, where it's predicted to be inhibited in your data set. All right. So the canonical pathways, again, we're going to be, you know, utilizing them to explore and understand what pathways are enriched in my data set. Um, and not only that, but what molecules are part of, that are in my data set that are part of that pathway. And again, giving us a prediction activated or inhibited. And I'll just show one more view here is really just that open pathway view. Namely, the reason why I wanted to jump in it is that we looked at this uh, in the introduction as something that, you know, something that we're looking to generate when we do RNA-seq processing is that when we look at a given canonical pathway that we want to explore further, we want to know how does our data set look within that canonical pathway. And once more, 
I will point out when you have red and green, those are measurements. And of course, it's uh, a gradient. So if it was like less strong, it would be a faded color. And then again, orange and blue are predictions of either activation or inhibition. So again, we can see very quickly molecules that had a measurement in our data set, all highlighted here in this sort of uh, pink color, at least in this data set. Um, and so those, those molecules were upregulated uh, within my measurement. Um, and so that's what we're able to represent here. And as mentioned before, as every edge or line here is representation of some information within the knowledge base. So by double clicking on an edge, for instance, here, you'll notice, you know, the, there's 11 expression findings between these two molecules. And so that's why, because this is upregulated, it's predicting that this one is also upregulated up because, uh, again, because of the relationships that are known within that knowledge base. So that's all well and good. So again, just trying to give you guys a sense of how uh, we maybe interpret this type of data. Um, so not only do we get a better, a good understanding of sort of the canonical pathways um, and how they're enriched and the directionality, but we can also explore, you know, things like upstream analysis, um, which would be giving me a sense of like, are there key molecules in my data that maybe, or key molecules that could be controlling uh the expression of the molecules in my data set um and so i'll point out this first and foremost so these do not need to be molecules in your data set right so if you look over here that this list has some that have measurements and some that don't have measurements but what it's looking at are the target molecules and are these target molecules enriched so you know like tnf targets you know 145 of the molecules in my data set and because of that, you know, it's enriched, so it has a very low p-value. And then, again, we see another z-score that's being calculated here. And so uh, it's predicted to be activated. Anything with an absolute value of 2 or greater uh, will be uh, considered significant. And so we can see very quickly, you know, certain maybe, uh, you know, certain ways that we want to approach analyzing this data when it comes to sort of things like upstream uh, analysis or upstream regulators, because right now we have 4,743 molecules in this list. So generally, I'm going to want to start filtering this down to make it more manageable. And we can utilize these, you know, little funnels at the top of these columns as a way to sort of, you know, filter these data sets out. Like you could say, hey, I want to find you know, all the upstream regulators that target um, ACT A2, right? I mean, choose any of the molecules in this list. You can utilize that filter and specify that. But what we'll look at first is maybe just like, you know, an absolute a Z-score type of filter uh, where we're saying everything needs a Z-score of two. And I mean, that makes things a little bit easier. We went really from about uh, 14,000 down or 1,400 down to 866. Um, and now generally uh, the ways that a lot of our customers will filter this down is that there are certain types of molecules that we're looking for. Like based on the type of experiment, maybe I'm looking specifically for, you know, uh, uh, cytokines or kinase, kinase. Right. And so we can select that and say uh, apply. 
And now we are looking at 47 molecules. And this is a, a much easier um, you know, starting point to start looking at sort of these analyses. Um, and we can explore, well, this these different molecules by highlighting them within the table and looking at them as what's referred to as a network that gives us sort of a graphical representation of the molecule of interest, right? So that map 2K1. And then all of the targets in our data that are targets for that specific molecule. Now, again, it's looking at ooh, the consistency of um, the findings and their relationship with the upstream regulator. And you can see here, based on the type of arrow, it would activate the majority of these molecules. Um, and we see that the majority are activated. And so that's why it's predicting that this upstream regulator uh, is activated in this data set. So this allows us to explore, you know, what's going on within a, any given data set. Um, and as I had mentioned, we can really shortlist these um, upstream regulators based on molecule type, Z-score, maybe even a specific target molecule. We can also look at like an additional hop up. And what I mean by that would be um, if we have our molecules here, right? So these little round uh, circles represent molecules in your data set, right? We would then have what we call an upstream regulator. So we'll say this box, right? And this upstream regulator is what is, you know, kind of controlling or acting upon, you know, these downstream molecules. But sometimes what we want to understand right is is there something that might be like a root regulator or uh something maybe even a additional hop up above this right and so sometimes we're looking for this master or root regulator um and what the way that we can do that is through our functionality called causal network and that allows us to explore those um uh, additional sort of master regulator where in this view what we can ex what we see um, is that this is our master or ooh, mm, draw. sorry, uh, this is our master or uh, root regulator. These are the upstream regulators. And then here are all the targets for them in my data set. So again, master regulator targets the upstream regulator which then maybe targets the molecules within your data set. And again, we would utilize this for, you know, filtering down to specific types of molecules or, you know, specific targets to find uh, a root regulator. They can be good for, you know, maybe a drug target or something along those lines as they, you know, maybe have a, a greater impact on the overall expression patterns of a, a group of molecules opposed to, you know, a specified upstream regulator. So we also, um, by looking at the RNA-seq data, we did notice a couple things that could potentially um, be interesting. One being that that group of male ultra, ultra, bleh, UC patients 
um, and you know, understanding maybe how those compare to um, additional the 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 other uh, um, experiments that we are looking at for UC patients, uh, like the female or the overall groups versus each other. And so, what we can have the ability to do is, you know, not only explore individual level um, information. But once a core analysis has been run for a given sample or experiment, we actually do have the ability to call create what we call a comparison analysis where I'm going to make sure I have uh, all three groups here. We can see I have male, female, and my, um, I'll call it just uh, disease versus control. Um, and so what we can do is just simply select the samples that we want. I mean, these are all uh, similar to each other, but you could select anything that you want. You could also bring in additional uh, data like metabolomic data or proteomic data and be able to overlay them uh, or compare multiple types of data at once. And when we look at this, uh, we can see very quickly, um, well, we have our normal uh, UC versus normal, uh, our females and our male samples. And if we scroll them over, we would probably want to look uh, a little bit more uh, in the way where we put UC versus normal, uh, male uh, versus uh, male, normal versus disease, and then female. And we can clearly see that there are, are differences across the canonical pathways. And so when we set up this comparison, we do get to explore, you know, all of the sort of general uh, or key areas that most people use IPA for, like things like uh, regulate, uh, like canonical pathways, upstream analysis, uh, diseases and functions. Um, and we can, you know, explore this data in several different ways. Uh, first and foremost, it's sorted by what we call score. Um, sometimes it's nice to put them more in, you know, groups of biological processes, if you will. Um, and so oftentimes I'll look at this more in like a hierarchical clustering um, where we can, you know, get a, uh, a good understanding of, you know, groups of, of canonical pathways that belong together. Um, in addition, I might want to cluster the columns together. So the hierarchical clustering uh, clustered all the canonical pathways. Clustering columns just puts our columns together. And once more, we see the male and the disease versus normal clustering together uh, and the female versus uh, the female uh, not uh, in that same, uh, not clustering in the same way. So we looked at hierarchical clustering. Um, and then, you know, what we would generally want to sort of explore from this might be, you know, a given canonical pathway. Say, in this case, I just clicked on hepatic fibrosis signaling uh, for my ultrasound colitis versus um, normal male. And when we click on that box, we get a nice little quick preview of our data inside of that canonical pathway. And so here we can see, for instance, what molecules are up or down regulated within that data set. Similarly, if we wanted to jump very quickly to like the female uh, UC versus um, normal, we can just click on the other uh, box for that data set and it overlays the information from that uh, other sample. So we very easily can you know, get a good idea of, well, what's going on in each one of these samples. Again, I call this more of like a preview uh, type of visualization uh, because you can open this network in a more editable type of manner uh, where you would be able to um, overlay multiple data sets at one point in time. 
but we can also visualize this information in what we would refer to, you know, as a heat map. Um, and this may be a little bit easier from uh, a comparative point of view uh, as it takes and puts all of the genes next to each other so we can see which ones were upregulated in, in our data set or downregulated um, and giving us a better understanding of what's going on, for instance. Um, so when we look at those comparisons, as you can see, we have a better understanding of those canonical pathways and how they're um, similar or dissimilar across our different groups. And I'll just point out uh, how that's also available, again, for upstream analysis. Um, looks very similar, except for our column over here is going to be an upstream regulator. Um, and again, we can utilize this as a way of sort of getting an understanding of, you know, what's going on within sort of the, uh, maybe the uh, male and uh, male UC versus normal and just the UC versus normal. Uh, again, uh, certain pathways that, or upstream regulators that may be down in one that are up in another. Uh, these could be potential, you know, maybe regulators that we want to explore further, um, or maybe they are drivers of, of why we're seeing a specific disease. Uh, maybe those are targets that we want to look at, you know, how do we target this with a specific drug? Um, and so these upstream analysis uh, and comparisons give us a lot of information and insight into that type of uh, information. Again, you know, for IPA um, and even CLC, these were more of a high level uh, type of introduction. We do go into greater detail in some of our other more specific uh, training um, today, again, more high level, but on November 7th, there's an intro to IPA. And uh, shortly thereafter, there will be a advanced user for IPA as well. Um, and I would just encourage, you know, if you want greater detail about, you know, how to do your interpretation, um, you know, I would suggest potentially jumping on one of those calls uh, and getting, a, you know, getting additional information. Right, so we covered a lot, um, uh, a lot of information today. Uh, so we went through, you know, how we would import and uh, import reads, metadata, references into the CLC Genomics Workbench. Again, that secondary analysis tool gives us that quantification uh, that we can then utilize for generating some, you know, different figures like, you know, heat maps, Venn diagrams, PCA plots. Um, again, I pointed out how we could use the workbench for uploading data into IPA. There are, um, you know, standard files, that, uh, Excel files or CSV files that you could import as well. So I don't want you to think that it requires the workbench. It's just a, a nice way of doing it, a little more seamless. Um, and then once we've uploaded that data, again, that plugin initiated the core analysis, uh, which allows us to sort of start exploring things like canonical pathways, uh, upstream regulators. And once we've done the sort of core analysis for uh, the samples, we were then able to, you know, put those together and what's really a comparison to see are there certain, you know, trends in the, you know, between our different experimental groups or, 
you know, within certain biological processes, when we look at the hierarchical clustering, for instance. Um, other than that, I mean, I feel like I'm going to be able to give people about maybe 10 minutes to answer questions or ask some questions. Uh, so I don't have to necessarily go over. Uh, Kristen, are there any questions that might be useful for me to address? Yeah, sure. So one of the questions um, that came up is um, there's a lot of colors and shapes and lines and all of that in IPA. Do we have um, a place that we can go to figure out what all of that stuff means? Yes. The easiest way to sort of get there um, is right through the help and go to legend. And when we look at the legend, it just opens up a web page um, and every shape. So when we were looking at those network maps and I saw, you know, something that looked like an hourglass, I knew it was a canonical pathway. So every shape means a certain type of molecule. Um, when you hover over the edges, it gives you like an alphabet and that tells me what type of finding. And then in addition, the arrows even mean uh, some additional uh, context. And then, of course, as you said, colors. Right. And what do the, the different colors? So, uh, again, really, the short answer is uh, that information is all available by clicking on help and going to legend. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. Um, while we're in IPA here, is there a way to view um, different uh, publicly available data sets or analyses within IPA? Like already sure. processed data? For sure. So we have about uh, 125,000 uh, data sets that we can, you know, easily search. Uh, key is just making sure we're searching for data sets. So we can just click on data sets and analyses. Um, and then here you could, if you knew like the project name, you could type that in or, you know, you could even look for cardio. Um, so you can even look for like uh, uh, key terms, things along those lines. Like I just did cardiomyopathy, right? Or you know something along those lines. Um, you can easily search for those data sets. Um, you can see here there's 13 analyses, and we can double click any of these to open up those projects as though uh, we had uploaded the differentially expressed genes and ran the core analysis. Awesome. Thank you so much. How about a situation where we want to figure out what genes are downstream of maybe one target that we've uh, honed into? Um, so maybe dro dropping a gene on a uh, like network on a my pathway and then yeah. using maybe the grow. Sure, for sure. That's what I thought you were going, uh, but it wasn't 100% sure. All right. Sure. So if we um, so the idea is like, all right, we have a gene. We want to know what are some of the downstream targets. So uh, and. Oh, I can't even touch it. Again. It doesn't matter. Uh, TP53. Sorry, I'm, I'm pulling a blank on other gene names. So here I'm just searching for any gene. Uh, so again, that's more of a, we we want to generate a hypothesis. I have a gene of interest, TP53. And, and what I want to understand are what are its downstream targets. And so what we can do is add this to what we refer to as a my pathway, uh, my network, if you will. Um, and as uh, Kristen had alluded to, what we can do is grow 
um, to downstream targets. And so we are utilizing a function called build and we can grow to, you know, all maybe direct downstream, you know, uh, relationships, for instance. This is going to be big. Fabulous. Yes, I know it's going to be big. <laughs> yes, I figured that one. I'll just do 10. Ah, there we go. So, because I didn't do a lot of limiting, like maybe I probably wouldn't have included microRNA based on what I just saw or protein-protein interactions. So uh, what we can do when we build these out are really choose the types of relationships or um, the types of nodes that we're bringing in. Uh, so that way we don't build out these hairballs. Like I probably would have just taken away like microRNAs and things along those lines if I wasn't interested in them. And it just makes it a cleaner uh, diagram. So really for those build grow types of functions, utilize that left-hand side as a way of sort of minimizing what you're you're growing out to. Fabulous. Thank you so much for that answer. Oh, and the answer for this one, I'm looking at a question in the 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 dialogue. I was just going to ask you that question. So perfect. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 heavens no. Um, your data is not available to others, right? Unless you have potentially uploaded your data to SRA, right? Made it publicly available to everyone, right? Your reads, and then we reprocess those reads and put it into our our analysis. But like, say, you know, you upload your own data set, you run a core analysis on it, that output from that would not be available to anyone else, right? That is only yours uh, and yours alone, and you're the only one that has access to it. Excellent. Thank you so much for that. Another question would be, um, when we were looking at things like that uh, upstream regulator list that we had going in our uh, core analysis there, mm -hmm. If I wanted to sort or rather filter by um, a significant Z-score, what would that look like and what would that Z-score be? For sure. Um, so there's a lot of funnels on top of those columns, right? So under the upstream analysis is what you're asking for. So anytime you see tables, you'll notice little funnels. Sometimes they're hard to notice, but these little blue objects up here. And we would want to filter for an absolute value of two. So what's considered significant in IPA would be uh, an absolute value two with regards to that Z-score. Um, and I'll just hit apply and that will give me a short list of all the ones that are greater than or less than two. Absolutely. Awesome. Easy breezy. So uh, this question that just came into the Q&A box is a little bit on the uh, meaty side. So if you could just very briefly explain uh, what pattern search and, uh, you know, analysis match type uh, things are in IPA. That would be wonderful. Oh, yeah, um, that's a lot to unpack. Um, but uh, I, I guess I can start right from this view and talk about, uh, quickly talking about pattern searching. So if we look at TNF, which is predicted to be an upstream regulator, it targets 145 molecules in my data set. Now, I can add that to a pathway, which we saw earlier, um, and I'm going to take uh, both here. Oh, why did I? I didn't. I'm sorry. Duh. Uh, I want to display that as a network. I'm, I misspoke. I'm, I had a brain fart. Uh, sorry, I want to display that as a network, 
it's going to give me my upstream regulator in that central box and then all of my molecules in my data set again these have a pattern now right red up green down so if i want to match this pattern of up and down regulation of these 145 molecules to that uh, you know uh, repository of 125,000 data sets we can simply you know have a network like this and just say pattern search Right. And that's scoring this pattern of up and down regulated molecules against those data sets and trying to find ones that have similar overlap. And not only that, but similar overlap with similar direction, right? Or opposite direction um, to what we have on uh, within this one data set. So that would be pattern searching, right? So again, in this sense, I'm using a, a whole pattern of up and down regulated molecules. The other place that we'll see, um, and, and this would be covered a lot in the advanced sort of sessions uh, as well. Um, and so the uh, analysis match, if we look at say something like pathways, we have a Z score and a P value calculated for each of these canonical pathways, right? And so if we look at this first one, it has a P value of uh, e to the minus 21st, 8.6 e to the minus 21st, and a very significant z-score. And so what we can do is plot the z-score and p-value of, again, of all of those data sets, a patho pathogen-induced cytokine storm signaling pathway. So I'm basically going to just plot, make a volcano plot of p-value z-score for uh, all of those data sets for this pathway for all of those data sets. So again, a little bit different when we talked about pattern, we were looking at individual up and down regulation of molecules. Now we are actually just comparing a Z-score and P-value. So it's just plotting uh, Z-score and P-value, right, for those all of those data sets. And the benefit here would be like, hey, I want to find other projects that are correlated with mine that are, you know, mouse lung samples, right? And so you can utilize this as a way of, quickly finding, you know, projects or data uh, um, that might be similar or, you know, anti-correlated to your own data set. Um, so that would be activity plot. And then the last one I'll point out here is the analysis match tab. And really analysis match is a little more on the global side of things. So uh, pattern was individual molecules up and down, uh, activity plot was p-value and z-score and when we talk about uh, uh, analysis match this is looking at like overall canonical pathways and how similar they are upstream regulators causal networks diseases and function so this is even like at a, a more global level across the whole data set and this again is allowing us to find publicly available projects that have similar patterns or um of course and anti-correlated uh, uh, patterns as well. Um, and so we can, of course, you know, look for uh, samples that would be on the other side or, or anti-correlated to mine as well. Excellent. So I'm also gonna share, um, just like Sean said, it's a lot to unpack with those uh, features. So I'm actually gonna share in chat a uh, link to um, the IPA help page that describes um, analysis match because it is a pretty lofty subject to um, kind of get through there. Yeah. 
it's a lot right. to unpack in a very short period of time. Yeah, you did fabulous, though, Sean. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Any other right. questions I can address? Yeah, it doesn't look like we have any other questions coming through. Um, I did share also a SurveyMonkey link for feedback from today's session. So if you had any thoughts about how today went, what you'd want to see in the future, what we can change, um, please feel free to use that SurveyMonkey link. We love getting feedback from uh, you, our users. And then just for good measure, I also posted today's slides, uh, the link to those mm -hmm. in the chat box as well. So uh, with that, we will hang out for a few more minutes to see if there are any last minute questions that come through. Um, but uh, other than that, thank you so much, Sean, for this wonderful presentation. Thank you, Deb and Leah, for hanging out and answering questions uh, with myself. And of course, uh, thank you guys for spending some time with us to learn about CLC and IPA.